This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What in your eyes would it take for these leagues to shut it down again? In baseball, if two teams had to stop playing because of an outbreak, I'm not sure you can continue at that point. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is best-selling author and sports commentator, John Feinstein. Presented by Geico. We're going through the most confusing time we've ever experienced in the world of sports. Every league and organization is making revolutionary changes in order to return to action despite the COVID-19 pandemic. Now here virtually to make sense of all of this unprecedented topsy-turvy situation is an award-winning journalist, commentator, and best-selling author of more than 45 sports books, including A Season on the Brink and A Good Walk Spoiled. It's my pleasure to welcome a man for all seasons, John Feinstein. John, welcome to game time. And I should say the pen is in the other hand in this regard, starting this, uh, this interview. Boomer, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. You and I go way back. We don't want to even admit how far back we go. But if you asked me to be on the show to make sense of the pandemic, yeah, I, I think you got the wrong guy. Well, you and I go all the way back to Willis Reed and Tom Seaver. That's how far back we go, because those are both of the guys that we grew up idolizing. I don't know about you, Boomer, but I haven't missed travel at all. I, no, I, I've been perfectly happy to not be in hotel rooms and not be on the road. Yeah, I don't miss the travel at all either, John, but I do miss the games. There's no question about that. And, you know, the fact that NASCAR and PGA are back now and doing, I think, a pretty good job in their bubble at least gives us something to watch. Competition distracts us from the everyday being quarantined in our homes. And give me your assessment of NASCAR and PGA first and foremost, since they are the two sports that came back first. Well, I'm a lot more qualified to talk about golf than about NASCAR. I think the tour overall has done a good job. They, they've had, uh, I think, seven positive tests involving players uh, since they started back. And under the circumstances, that's a good number. It's worth remembering that NASCAR and golf are both outdoor sports. And they are non-contact sports, uh, unless the cars have contact with one another. That makes it a little easier for them. I am still very concerned about what's going to happen with, both, with basketball, with hockey, with football because those are all contact sports. And we will see, because as you said, they're all planning to start up here pretty soon. 
you know, we're going to get into the Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and of course, college football a little bit later on in the interview. I did want to ask you a little, you know, I don't miss the fans for golf, first and foremost. Uh, actually, I enjoy, I, you know, and I'm, I was going to ask you, do you think that there are some players that are playing better because there are no fans there? Well, one thing for sure, Boomer, they're playing faster. And that's a good thing because pace of play is, is a big problem on the PGA tour, even though they don't like to admit it. But I, 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 I have talked to players and I know that they're very happy with what they've got right now. They're playing for full purses. They don't have to play pro-ams. They don't have to deal with fans asking for autographs. They don't have to deal with the media in person. They only have to deal with us uh, like you and I are talking right now. Um, and and they're ha- they would be probably happy if that went on forever. Here we are trying to restart these other leagues. Have you ever been around anything as as I guess I must say distracting, disheartening as we have been through the last four or five months? Boomer, I don't think any of us have. Uh, this is uh, this is unique, and and I I hope it will remain unique that we won't have it ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I remember being stunned when the NCAA announced they weren't going to play the basketball tournament, because my feeling was for all the TV money involved, that they'd find a way to play even in empty arenas. The fact that they felt the need to shut down, that's when it hit me, Boomer, how serious this was, that this was a big deal worldwide, clearly. All right, we're back with Washington Post columnist John Feinstein, who once said, I love sports. I'm very passionate about the games and writing about the people. It's never been a job. Now, John, as you write about baseball and the NBA playing truncated seasons because of the pandemic, are you still going to be passionate about the games considering the new formats in these sports? It's a good question, Boomer. And I honestly don't know the answer. I'm very much looking forward to being able to sit down at night after dinner with my family and watch the Mets lose. Um, (laughs) Because that's what the Mets do. I I mean, I'm a lifelong Mets fan, as you know. And I've missed that. I've had the baseball package ever since it was invented. I miss being able to sit there and watch the Mets and click around to other games as the evening goes on. So I, I suspect I will miss that. The NBA is a different story. Most of the regular season was done. I think everybody played 64, 65 games. Uh, I'm a little bit bothered by the fact that they brought 22 teams to Orlando. Clearly, the reason they did that was so Zion Williamson could keep playing and be on TV for at least eight games. That's the only reason to do that. I would have preferred they just say, okay, we played, you know, four-fifths of the season. Let's take the 16 teams and have playoffs. Uh, They're not going to do it that way. Uh, It will be strange, particularly in basketball, where I think the crowd and, and and atmosphere is so important to see them playing in empty arenas. Baseball, I'll, I'll miss the fans, but it's not as much. You know, in baseball, it's more spread out. Basketball atmosphere is so important, particularly in the college game, which is my first love. I'm not sure how I'll react to the NBA in August. I'm pretty sure I'll be psyched for baseball if they can pull it off. Yeah, you know, the big question is, can they pull it off? And what, in your eyes, would it take for these, these leagues to shut it down again? You know, I'm sure they have uh, plans in place as to making decisions like that. Uh, Obviously, in baseball, if two teams uh, had to stop playing because of an outbreak, the way MLS has lost two teams, I'm not sure you can continue at that point. Uh, And the baseball teams are going to travel. They're not going to be in a bubble. And that's going to be potentially dangerous. They feel this is the only way to do it. I get that. There would come a point where if 
if teams had to be shut down as opposed to individuals, I think then everybody needs to get in a remote room and make a decision. How bad do you think baseball hurt itself with the argument leading up to the eventual 60-game season? Faye Vincent, when he was a commissioner before the 94-95 strike, said to me once, if we have another work stoppage, which of course they did after the owners fired Faye Vincent for trying to convince them not to have one, it will be seen as greedy millionaires fighting with greedy billionaires. And I think that's the way most of us saw this. Look, everybody's hurting right now. We have this unique pandemic going on. And you guys, all of most of whom make a lot of money, not all baseball players make a lot of money, but most do, and all, all the owners are all rich, are fighting over essentially from the owner's standpoint, $25 million a team. Tom Boswell, my colleague at the Post, wrote a great column a few weeks ago in which he pointed out that in the last 10 years, the average value of a major league team has gone up by more than a billion dollars. And these guys are complaining about perhaps losing 25 million. I just didn't understand it. All right, welcome back to Game Time as we continue with John Feinstein. We're talking about all the major sports coming back, and the NFL is planning a full season, of course, but with more empathetic attitude toward his players, especially his black players, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. And, you know, John, sitting where you're sitting and sitting where I'm sitting, I don't think I've ever seen players as politically active as they are today. And watching Roger Goodell's late video towards the Black Lives Matter movement for the players uh, liking, I think, came a little bit late and to me seemed disingenuous. How do you feel about that? Here's the thing. I'm glad Roger Goodell made that video and I'm glad he said what he said. But until he does something tangible, they're empty words. I have not seen anything from Roger Goodell indicating that he's going to show tangible support for the players. And, and I'll give you an example that's in the news as you and I speak. Where was he on the whole issue of the, the team's name here in Washington? Now, for years, he defended it. He, he, in fact, said Redskins was a name of honor and basically defending Dan Snyder, who, of course, said the name will never change. Put that in caps. Well, what got the name to change? Not Roger Goodell getting on the phone with Dan Snyder and saying, look, Dan, it's a different time. You need to make this move before you're forced to make this move. So you could stand up at a press conference and say, I realize it's 2020, it's not 1933, and the time has come for us to change the name. Instead, I don't think Goodell took any position with Snyder. And the only reason the name's being changed now is because FedEx, Pepsi, Nike, uh, Bank of America all said, we're not going to be sponsors anymore. Along comes Deshaun Jackson, and he makes a, I mean, just a bonehead mistake. It's repulsive, actually. And some of the follow-up from some of the other players, Steven Jackson, notably the former NBA player, was just even more repulsive than Deshaun Jackson. I think Deshaun Jackson is trying very hard to straighten out the mistake that he made, and I give him credit for trying to do that. Uh, were you dismayed by the lack of outrage towards Deshaun Jackson when that tweet came out from the general NFL player? Dismayed, yes. Stunned, no. I, I think, especially right now, because the focus has been since May 25th on Black Lives Matter, and I get that, uh, that it, it almost got overlooked. Uh, there were some people who said that we, you, me, anybody, shouldn't criticize an African-American player, whether it was Deshaun Jackson or Stephen Jack, uh, Stephen Jackson, um, for making anti-Semitic comments. 
but all of us should be subjected to criticism, whether we're black or white or green or blue or Jewish. I'm Jewish, as you know. Um, the, the comments were uh, very offensive. And I, I think it, it, it just kind of got almost lost in the wash for a little while. I think now that he is, as you said, saying he's going to travel to Auschwitz um, and, and, and has, is trying at least um, to, to step back from the original comments. And I thought Malcolm Jenkins was the perfect person that has been living a life off the field the way that he should be using his prowess and his notoriety to create change and get involved in politics the way, and I, and I always appreciated that. What I didn't appreciate, however, is when he came out and he said that Deshaun Jackson was a distraction. You know, he should have come down, I thought, just as hard as on Deshaun Jackson as he's come down in, on other issues in our society. And to me, that was disappointing. Yeah, it is disappointing, especially when it comes from one of the smart guys. And Malcolm Jenkins is clearly one of the smart guys. And that's why I, I go back to the fact that we all have to say that anything that, that is said or written that's hateful is absolutely wrong. And it, it, it was, it, there was a, a delayed reaction uh, specifically to Deshaun Jackson. I think people now are, are, are coming around to it and understanding uh, how awful it, it was. And I hope that he honestly does understand that he's not just trying to say, quote, the right thing now. John Feinstein and I have already discussed pro football in the light of the pandemic and other changes. Now let's turn to college football. Now, John, I don't know if you know this, but I did receive a lot of feedback when I said on my radio show here in New York that it seemed like more than a coincidence that so many players on title contenders such as LSU, Clemson, and Alabama all tested positive for COVID-19 at seemingly a very opportune time. What is going on in college football with these players on campus when there are no classes and why have so many come down with COVID-19 all of a sudden? Even though we know, especially in football and men's basketball, these are semi-professional sports and semi-professional athletes, but we've got to at least pretend that they're part of a college. And if there are no classes going on at a college, why are athletes on campus? I, I don't understand it. And I, I think that as we get closer and closer to what should be the college football season, I think we're getting closer and closer to maybe the whole fall being shut down and playing college football this year in spring semester. Uh, I, I, I think that the, the money leagues, the power five leagues are going to go kicking and screaming into this because of the money involved. In professional sports, John, there are unions to protect the athletes. Where is the NCAA and how are they protecting the athletes at the college level? Or are they? They don't protect the athletes. It's hypocritical because the, these guys to the NCAA are athletes. They're money makers. We all know about the NIL issue and the fact that players haven't been paid forever, at least over the table. But the, the players really don't have any protection. You know who has to protect them? Honestly, they're coaches. Mm -hmm. That's who has to protect them because I don't think anybody else is going to do it. Certainly not going to be the athletic directors who are looking strictly <laughs> at their budgets or the commissioners yeah. who are looking strictly at their budgets. Yeah, or the presidents for that matter. I guess oh, very much. Yeah, I shouldn't have left right. that out. The presidents, to me, the presidents are the worst offenders 
because they stand up there and say, we care about the student athletes and blah, 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 blah. All they care about is the yeah. money. So John, let's jump to January of 2021. Look in your crystal ball and imagine you're looking back at the previous four or five months in sports. What do you think you have will have written about in the Washington Post during this time? I saw a cartoon uh, the other day and it, yeah. it was Michael J. Fox's character in Back to the Future standing in front of the DeLorean. And somebody says to him, whatever you do, don't go to 2020. And, and that's pretty much my feeling, particularly for those of us who love sports. Um, I, I think uh, I, we're, we're, we're going, if we're going to play football, pro or college, we're going to play in front of empty stadiums. I'm trying to picture the Army Navy game without a full stadium, uh, without the march ons before the game. You would have the playing in the alma maters for the players, at least at the end of the game. But I'm not even sure that's going to happen. I, football of all sports, it's it, every play there, there's contact there has to be basketball hockey are also contact sports so I think in many ways the NBA is going to be the guinea pig and the NHL along with it because if they can pull it off in a and and the NHL is going to be in a different kind of bubble because they'll be in two different cities but if they can pull it off then there's a chance we can go forward if they can't pull it off then I think we're looking at six months before anybody can seriously think about coming back. You know, John, this is why I worry about football. You know, I had a, uh, an experience on the football field against the Cleveland Browns where Bob Golick was laying on top of me after sacking me or I fumbled the football or something and his breath was awful. And I remember smelling it. And I'm thinking to myself, this probably goes on at the bottom of every single pile of every single football game, whether it be college, pro, high school, uh, you know, grade school, whatever it may be. So I, I, I don't know how we're going to play. I hope we can play. We can only keep our fingers crossed. Now, I'm thinking also during this time for a guy like you who loves to write books, who has this very, uh, you know, creative mind, like I would imagine that this is like the perfect time to be writing a book. So what are you working on? Last January, I started researching a book on race and sports. Uh, I've thought it, for years that it was the elephant in the room, not just in sports, but in our society. Uh, I never dreamed that, that George Floyd's murder would, would bring that to the, the fore the way it has. Uh, but it's something I've wanted to do for years. Uh, I, I think it's important for me anyway, as someone who's been around sports since I was a little kid, uh, my junior high school basketball team, I was the only white starter and my nickname was white boy. Uh, and I liked it actually, because it was a compliment. But I, so I, I, I think I have an understanding uh, of race and sports. I can't say I've ever walked in the shoes of an African-American athlete, but I've known a lot of them and I've known a lot of African-Americans in coaching and managing. Uh, and so it's been a fascinating project for me, even though it's been set back by the pandemic because I can't travel to go and interview people in person, but I've still been doing interviews uh, on the phone and it's, it's been fascinating. You know, Tony Dungy, um, who I have the greatest of respect for, first African-American coach to win a Super Bowl, told me that when he was a senior quarterback at Minnesota in 1977, he was told he was going to be drafted as a quarterback. This is back when there were 12 rounds in the draft. He thought he was going to go fourth or fifth round. Didn't get drafted at all and ended up playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers as a free agent as a defensive back. And even though things have changed since then, obviously, look at Lamar Jackson. What were people saying about Lamar Jackson coming out of Louisville? Well, he should be a wide receiver. He should be a running back. So even now, 
that, that there is a, a an, an unconscious bias, I think, in most cases um, against black quarterbacks to this day. And as you mentioned earlier, who's the best quarterback in football right now? Patrick Mahomes uh, and Lamar Jackson ain't bad either. And Deshaun Watson's pretty good. And Russell Wilson's pretty good. So we've made progress, but we're still not there. And uh, I had a book that came out in March uh, called The Back Roads to March, which was about uh, uh, teams, uh, college basketball teams that aren't on ESPN or CBS every night. Uh, the middle and lower level teams with kids who love to play just as much as the kids who are going to go play in the NBA, but of course, don't get the attention. That was a, a great joy ride for me. This, this current project's a little bit more intense. Yeah, but you know, it's intense, but it's timely. So I, I wish you the very best, John. Our thanks to John Feinstein for joining us today and to all of you out there for watching. I'm Boomer Esiason. I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Hall of Fame slugger Chipper Jones. I will say this, uh, I'm very much looking forward to being able to sit down at night after dinner with my family and watch the Mets lose. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what the Mets do. I, I mean, I'm a lifelong Mets fan, as you know.